Ugh, I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You've taken gorgeous photos of your baby or your kids, and then when you want to share them, it is a pain either trying to find the photos or figuring out the group text that they should go to, and then also remembering that, say, Aunt Helen only does email, so you need to send her image separately. Or like in my case, where my husband is a photographer who takes magnificent photos that I rarely actually get to see because they live on his phone or end up scattered in text messages that I can't easily find. Enter the Family Album app, which was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with your loved ones. Basically, it's a personal space for your family's memories without third-party ads or unwanted eyes and with a bunch of fabulous features. It automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and easily see how your child has grown. And you can also order eight photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. The Family Album app also has unlimited storage. Plus, it's totally free. Yup, no more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by third-party ads. So, to all the parents out there still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, level up your family photo game for free and securely with the Family Album photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, all in one word, and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. Thank you. 
Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're talking about family-centered cesareans. Women who have cesareans often feel a disconnect from their birth experience and usually have to wait an extended time to bond with their baby. It turns out this does not have to be the case. Dr. Pamela Behrens is here to tell us about changes to the cesarean experience that can make a difference. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, mamas and mamas-to-be. Today, we have on the show Dr. Pamela Behrens, who is a generalist OBGYN working as professor and vice chair of clinical affairs at the McGovern Medical School at the University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston. She's active in clinical practice as well as both medical students and resident education. And her area of academic and educational focus is surrounding pregnancy and postpartum care, as well as breastfeeding and breastfeeding complications. She's active in the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine, lectures for the Texas Department of State Health Services on lactation and maternal health, and she serves as one of the co-physician leads for the National Institute for Children's Health Quality Texas Breastfeeding Learning Collaborative. She also participates in the ACOG Breastfeeding Expert Group and assists with various endeavors to promote breastfeeding and educate obstetricians further about the topic. She's written chapters and published research on various breastfeeding topics, delayed cord clamping, gestational weight gain, and postpartum care. And she also does a lot of family-centered cesareans. <laughs> Dr. Behrens, welcome. Great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you so much. So... This is, to me, very interesting, this quote-unquote new concept or idea of making the cesarean, realizing that it, what the experience, the mother experiences when having a cesarean is important. So conceptually, what makes a cesarean family-centered? I think that the answer to that question really depends a lot on that particular family. And what concerns and goals um, the family um, has. So that's really in the title, and that's probably the reason that I started doing this, you know, way back when, when we didn't actually have a different name for it, um, was because patients would tell me prior birth experiences um, by cesarean that didn't really go the way that they wanted and what kind of thoughts and concerns they had and what we could do to avoid those same things happening with the uh, repeat cesarean delivery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, women who give birth by cesarean, I find that often feel a disconnect from their birth. So you find that carrying out a family-centered cesarean helps them feel more connected to the experience? Absolutely. I feel that it helps them to be more connected and it also helps them to feel that they're participating in the process instead of um, it being something that's happening to them. Mm -hmm. um, I, I like it much better if, if they can be involved. Um, I do have a number of ladies who do um, often try for a vaginal delivery when they've had a cesarean in the past. And I'll tell them that, you know, I can't guarantee that that will work, but we can guarantee that we can change their cesarean to make it better for them if they, you know, do need that. Um, and, you know, people have different aspects of the cesarean that they have a strong feeling about. And so I try to investigate that with the mother um, and, you know, whatever family or support is going to be there with them um, ahead of time in the office. So do you find you talk about uh, planning for a cesarean just in case with all your patients? 
Um, I wouldn't say that I do it with all of my patients, although you have a good point that that may be a worthwhile conversation for women to have when they have birth plans, A um, certainly not part of their birth plan, plan, but a what if this had to happen, what would be kind of the most important aspects to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but for my women who I do think have a particular risk for having um, another C-section, like that woman with a prior cesarean delivery, we'll definitely talk about what part of the experience went well before, what part she didn't like, what we can do to make this the experience that she wants um, this time. Right. And it seems it's a, it's a great way of involving them in some sort of decision making or or feel a little bit like like you said before that not that it's happening to them but that they can be a part of it yeah they're participating in the process absolutely yeah so what are some of those ways that you make a cesarean more gentle or family-centered so um again i think it depends a lot on the particular woman but um some things are as simple as changing where we might place the IV so that she would be able to have better control of her hands so she can snuggle with the baby on her chest um, during the um, cesarean delivery process. We do try to get the baby um, to the mom. That's part of the um, gentle or family-centered cesarean. We try to get the baby to the mom very, very rapidly. And so for her to be able to participate in that, a few things need to be kind of different than the traditional practice. Um, So the um, old-fashioned way of having the mother's arms kind of attached to the board to the side is really um, kind of unfortunate. Um, And so we would not want to do that. We want to have her be able to move her arms and just remind her of the sterile field and where she should not move her arms. Um, And then, um, as I mentioned, place the IV in such a way that she'll be able to fold her arms across her chest and hold the baby and participate in that snuggling. Mm -hmm. And so it seems that maintaining the sterile field is one of the, it's obviously a very high concern in the OR. Um, You mentioned having her, even though her arms you know, are fortunately not strapped to the board, have her be aware of not putting her arms into the um, into the sterile field. What are some other things that you do to protect that field when handing baby over to mom for immediate skin to skin, say? So there are a number of different ways um, to do this. Um, there are some um, fancy drapes um, where you can kind of... Um, Uh, give the baby to the mother um, actually kind of through the drape. Um, We don't employ those um, where I work. We have a more traditional drape. um, And we just walk basically around the um, arm of the mother with the baby. And so the baby will go um, pretty much... um, to the mother, you know, a few seconds after the cord is clamped and cut. Um, And I think that it's important that the um, patients or the mothers, sorry, um, the mothers talk to the individual um, people at their institution to find out how best that particular place can accommodate this process because you do want it to be something that the nursing staff and the anesthesia staff are also comfortable with. We clearly don't want women to end up with infections. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we have um, a a sterilized blanket 
that the nurse kind of has the back of the baby. And so the front of the baby doesn't actually ever touch the blanket. The baby goes kind of into the blanket from me and then right onto mom's chest. Okay. And then so the nurse doesn't have to change gloves or, or there's any of that. She's, she maintains the sterile field. She means the nurse maintains the sterile field. Fantastic. So those, those um, um, drapes that you mentioned, I think, are an interesting idea. It's, uh, like I say, it's just not something that I have tried. I have tried the clear drapes. I have some patients who want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I have others who do not. <laughs> um, so that is part of my routine discussion for those women who are planning a C-section is if they want to have the clear drape or if they want to have the t- traditional drape. Yeah, I think that's similar when you have a vaginal birth and you're asked, you know, do you want a, a mirror to see? And, and some people that's helpful and some people it's not. Absolutely true. Some people that's a little too much information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about those, the drapes that have the resealable flap, um, which it was three nurses in Richmond, Virginia, I found out that just invented that or came up with it recently just to to address that issue of the of the get to a median skin to skin, but maintain the sterile field. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. I just haven't had the opportunity to try it yet. Mm-hmm. So I know that when, you know, I'm a doula, a birth doula, and I have been in the EOR for some cesareans, um, but usually mostly do, you know, in the in the hospital room. Um I know that what comes up a lot in birth, a concern is making sure baby is warm during right after delivery because they do have uh, difficulties to regulate their temperatures immediately. And, and having immediate skin to skin um, can certainly take care of that. Mom's really warm. But I know that sometimes you get the, the information that the OR is too cold. Do you find that to be an issue or is that something that you had to figure out in uh, when you were addressing to do family-centered cesareans? Yeah, actually, it is something that we, um, we had to look at our practices and change our practices. It was very um, interesting. Since I have a very keen interest in skin-to-skin at um, cesarean delivery and breastfeeding, um, I um, actually um, involved one of my residents in a um, performance improvement project at our hospital when we started this. So we kind of did this in a little bit sneaky way in that we surveyed not only the mother, but the um, anesthesia doctor, the OB doctor, and the nurses in the room about their feelings about the process. Now, clearly the mothers had very positive feelings, um, but that was also kind of a sneaky way for us to um, get the anesthesia doctors and the other obstetricians and the nurses kind of learn about the process and ability to um, to improve the process. Mm-hmm. So it was a little interesting to um, kind of see over time how um, the other um, staff involved really um, kind of uh, adopted it and, and loved the process. But part of that process also was to evaluate the baby's temperatures to make sure that the baby did maintain its uh, its temperature well. And we did find in our study that the babies did at first get colder. So we actually documented something we didn't want to document, but it was good information and that's part of why research is good to do. It mm-hmm. helps us learn. Um, so after we found out that the first, I don't know, four or five babies got cold, we make our operating rooms warmer. 
a warmer for the IV fluids. So we were um, using kind of just regular room temperature IV fluids instead of making sure that it was warm. Um, so that did help some. And the other thing that we did is there is um, the kind of warming device that we often use in an operating room. It's called a bear hugger. And that particular warming device, um, we would actually put that over the mother's arms and chest until we were near the delivery part. And then we would remove it. So mother started out actually at a warmer temperature. Hmm. So since mother started warmer, then when we put the baby on her chest and the warm blankets on top of the baby, we did a much better job of keeping the baby's temperature up. Fantastic. I find this so fascinating because it involves all this creativity and looking at the process from all angles and trying, like, I I applaud your creativity. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you ever try to put just warm blankets on moms? Um, instead of using the bear hugging device? Actually, yeah. I didn't, but I would anticipate that that would probably work too. Mm-hmm. Very good. So, I I saw that when you um you do delayed cord clamping or have done delayed cord clamping with uh, family centered cesareans how does that work with the baby's temperature and going to immediate skin to skin like how long do you wait um how do you integrate it So um I think that this, again, depends a little bit on the mother, but I do have concerns if she wants to wait, um, for instance, for the cord to stop pulsating. I think that that sometimes can actually be an extended period of time. And in a cesarean delivery, um, the mother does have the potential to continue bleeding during that time. And also the baby does have the um, concern about getting cold because I, I can't do as good of a job keeping the baby warm for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. So I kind of compromise with the um, C-section in that I can delay cord clamping for 60, 90 seconds, maybe three minutes. And that's kind of the point at which I think that I need to do something differently to get the baby to mom. And during that time, you it's just the waiting that's going on. You're not in any way trying to keep baby, you know, warm because of, of the sterile field. Is, am I correct? Because of, right, because of the sterile field. So you're a little bit more limited in that situation. I can't, you know, wrap the baby up in um, blankets completely in, in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but considering, I think ACOG's recommendation is one to around one, even one minute. Waiting one minute is is uh, helpful for that transfusion. Um, mm-hmm. So that I yeah, because waiting for the blood to for the cord to stop pulsating could even take fifteen minutes or something. That that Correct. yeah. So in a vaginal delivery, I will sometimes do that because in a vaginal delivery, the baby can be skin to skin with mother with warm blankets on top um, while you're waiting for the cord to stop climbing, but there's, or sorry, pulsating. But in a cesarean, there's really not a way to do that. So I would agree that most times I wait between 60 and 90 seconds because that's probably the most practical thing to do. But I have had patients who have specifically requested slightly long periods of time. And like I say, it, it is a compromise a little bit because I want to also be really careful about mother's bleeding. Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Because then there's that predicament of the, you are delivering a baby, but also doing major abdominal surgery. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Correct. 
Um, um, and we also have a lot of um, mothers who will um, be doing um, cord blood donation and things like that after that point. In our house, we are big on hydrating. Aside from all the important health benefits, I find that if I'm not well hydrated, I get these brutal headaches. So it's really important for me to hydrate. However, I do not like the taste of tap water and I cannot bring myself to buy bottled water because of all the plastic waste. So for years, we did pitcher filters, but then we switched to AquaTrue water purifiers. And after tasting the deliciousness of their truly clean water, we are never going back. What makes AquaTrue so unique is that they use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. This process removes 15% more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, also known as forever chemicals, that are found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. You can also forget about having to change filters every two to three months because AquaTrue filters last from six months to two years. Now, if plastic bottles are your thing, just one set of filters from AquaTrue's classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. Today, my listeners receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U dot com and enter the code BIRTHFUL at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code B-I-R-T-H-F-U-L. Diaper Rash It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that work for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at DrMomButtBalm.com That's DrMomButtBalm.com or look for it at Amazon.com. You mentioned before that it is a team effort, that you have to involve the anesthesia team and the nurses and, and pediatrics and everybody who's present there in the, um, in the OR, and you each have to adjust your, your work a little bit. Um, and you said, for example, having mom have that, her arms free and putting the IV in, in, in a 
different in the non-dominant arm for um to so that she can hug baby are there what other ways do you and the team accommodate to help that immediate skin to skin Okay. So these were um, things, again, that when we did that kind of initial trial, we um, maybe changed some of our practices. So we do have um, another nurse that actually um, will be in the delivery to care for baby instead of taking the baby elsewhere to a nursery or something like that, Um, in addition to the nurse that's going to be assisting with the maternal care. Um, So it was not more staffing, it was just a different location of the staffing. Um, The anesthesia team made some adjustments, not just in where the IV was and keeping the IV fluids warm and the mother's chest warm, but the other thing that the anesthesia team kind of helped us with was placing the leads for the um, the heart um, tracing in a different location. So again, they wouldn't be in such a place as to interfere with the skin-to-skin contact. We wouldn't want the baby um, maybe making the leads come off or, you know, being uncomfortable from the leads. So mm-hmm. we, we changed some of those things to accommodate to have the baby on the mother's chest. And that makes sense to me because I've seen those leads being placed right on mom's chest and I can see how they would get in the way. Yeah, and you can move them. I mean, there are some limitations. It depends on the woman, but you can um, you can move them to try to accommodate that. Now, you, I just had a thought in my head, and I lost it. I hate when that happens. <laughs> it happens. You mentioned um, yeah about the the having the nurse do a different staff. You know, to have her same staff but do a different um, sort of a different position. The it, it, it's obvious that the first thing you want to do is make sure that baby is okay. And, and, and I like, can you explain a little bit more how um, the nurse is assessing baby and that, you know, what they would normally do over at the warmer when they would whisk baby away, that now baby is t- it's on mom's chest doing skin to skin. How does that nurse get to do to assess baby? So again, it's, um, it's a creativity thing. Um, there's really no reason that the nurse can't be up at the head of the bed. Again, you have to kind of work around anesthesia. Um, so you need to watch where your monitors are placed to make sure that it's possible for the nurse to kind of get in there and be with the mom and the baby because the dad's in there too, hopefully, or whoever her support person is, they're, they're in there too. So um, you have to, again, just kind of be creative. So the nurse can be up on the opposite side typically as dad. So in my institution, dad tends to be on the left and the, the nurse tends to be on the right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can be different ways. And that way she can kind of peek under the blankets and check on the baby, check on how the mom's doing with the positioning of the baby, and assign the APGARs that we would usually give at one in five minutes um, and um, any kind of assessment of the baby um, at that point. If she has concerns about the one-minute APGAR or um, the five-minute APGAR, because again, if we've done delayed cord clamping, the one-minute APGAR actually has already happened before mm-hmm. the baby's skin to skin. Mm-hmm. Um, but if she has any concerns, then that would be a, a situation where the nurse um, would say that she needs to take the baby over to the warmer instead of the routine kind of tradition where the baby goes to the warmer, everyone makes sure the baby's okay first and then moves the baby out to the mama. Do you find that with a family-centered cesarean, you have um, 
when when patients have doulas, do they come in as well along with partners? So, um, again, it depends on the situation. I certainly have had doulas that have come in as a second person. I've had, um, for instance, patients transferred from a midwife um, who the the a midwife has also come in um, and has kind of taken over some of the, I wouldn't say taken over because she's not an employee, but assisted the nurses, let's put it that way, mm-hmm. assisted the nurses with um, helping a mom um, kind of uh, get the baby situated on her chest and, and um, positioning and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have to be practical too, though. So we have to have enough room. So, you know, we can't have necessarily five people there, but we usually can accommodate two people. <laughs> right. And I can see how that be, uh, could be a per situation basis, depending on, on what is going on and how, and how the birth or, or the labor has been. If mom had labor, like so many things, the circumstances, right, can, can affect what you might or may not be able to do. Absolutely true. And and it really, I mean, that's why you have to individualize so much. Um, clearly, you know, first is a safety issue. So if it is, for instance, an emergency cesarean delivery where we're worried about the baby's heart rate, that's not necessarily the right time to do immediate skin to skin. That might be a situation where we can still do a family-centered C-section once we've determined that really the baby's fine and bring the baby back and then do everything lovely. But you always have to keep mom and baby safe first. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, when I've had moms who have had um, cesareans, one of the things that they do comment is, is even though they're not feeling anything, right, because they are numb, that they can feel tugging and movement and pressure. Do you, mm-hmm. have you changed in, in any way the way you deliver the baby or how you operate um, f- to address those that concern? I think really um, the thing that I've done differently, um, and I think there's other literature, it's not just around this um, that supports it, is in the olden days, we were much more likely to reach inside the uterus to remove the placenta. And now we tend not to do that. We tend to um, do more similar to what we would do with a vaginal birth with um, some mild traction and and, um, waiting for the uterus to contract a little bit more. So that, I think, is a little different. Um, But I don't know that I've had to change um, much else from the surgical perspective. Um, And some of that may also depend on um, the anesthesia in your your particular um, institution. I was when I was doing my research and, and trying to find get prepared to talk to you. Um, <laughs> I read about some uh, some practitioners trying to deliver the baby more slowly or using less force um, to 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 make it in that way gentler. Do you find that that's neither here nor there? Um, again, I think that that depends a little bit on the situation. I find that um, at that point. I don't have a lot of issue with discomfort from my patients. Now, um, if um, they are wanting that part to be um, a little bit more visual, maybe she is one of those moms who wanted to do the clear drape and they wanted to have some photography, then from that point of view, I do things slightly different, yes. But I don't really find it to be a big time of discomfort. I find the big time of discomfort is really a little bit later when um, the baby's already been delivered. Okay. 
And you bring up a good point that I hadn't even considered, uh, photography. Do you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so usually it's more of photographing the baby. And in, in, in my experience, it's because baby is whisked away and maybe in, stays in the OR, but it's being checked over and mom gets left and, you know, can't move. She's on the OR table. Um to have to go take pictures of baby and bring it to mom and to try to do that so that she can somehow interact with the baby before baby comes to her. Do you allow for other types of photography photography during the cesarean? Yeah, and and again, I think it depends a lot on the um, particular person, but I have had more than one patient where her recollection of the c-section was that she didn't get to have the same kind of birth photos as other mothers and she wanted those birth photos it was particularly important to these women and so we did kind of arrange things in such a way i believe one of them had the midwife that was doing the pictures and i believe the other one had the husband um and really they were birth pictures and and um you know, I know it's a little different because it is a surgical procedure, but it has nothing to do with keeping things sterile. It's just really that the view that the mother's going to have is a little bit different. And so long as she's comfortable with the um, the potential, um, you know, showing of some of the uterus and things like that. But we've tried to do our best to accommodate that. And I think that at least those women really appreciated it. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate you being open to these things. I'm sure they valued it very much, but just considering it already is, is I don't know, a step in the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was really the ladies who, who considered it, So, but they brought it up. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, so I've, in the past, I've done a show on on the microbiome, and in, during that show, we talked about a little bit. There's a, a doctor in the New York New York University School of Medicine, Dr. Maria Gloria Dominguez Bello, who is currently doing a study to evaluate a procedure, basically where it's to restore the microbiota during cesarean births by having nurses wipe the baby with a gauze that contains the mother's birth canal bacteria that was inserted previous to the cesarean. Um, and I'd love to get your views on that, if that's something that you've considered, thought about, read. I know it's very much it's an early study stages, um, but do you have any concerns about it? So I do think it's interesting. I have heard about it. I have not yet incorporated it into my practice. Um, I, I do think that the microbiota is important. And I think we're learning so much more about um, how the things we do alter it. And so conceptually, I think the area of research is a very important area. Um, but as I mentioned, I haven't yet made any of this um, kind of incorporated into my practice. Um, the particular area I would have um, where I might be more concerned would be um, with um, some infections that I would maybe not want the baby to have an increased exposure to. Um, but in the absence of that, I would, you know, be somewhat open to the idea. I just haven't tried it yet. It's mm -hmm. an interesting question. Thank you. Yeah, and I I know I'm waiting to see some, it might take years, but waiting to see some results from this study just to see where she's going with this. Talking about, you know, thinking outside the box and being creative and looking at things in a different way. Yeah, we always have room to learn. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Dr. Behrens, if a listener happened to need a cesarean 
and wanted to make it a family-centered cesarean in a hospital which isn't familiar with the procedure. Do you have suggestions on how they might approach it? Um, would having, we mentioned a little bit before about family-centered cesarean birth plan, would that be helpful? Is there anything else, you know, videos or resources or what would you recommend? So I think that having a family-centered birth plan would be um, a very uh, useful thing to do in the um, right situation. So first and foremost, I would encourage the family to make sure that they can talk with their provider well in advance about, one, how important this is to them, and two, how would they like to go about maybe making some of those changes. So um, I think that birth plans are great, and I like to discuss them well in advance of the delivery so we have a good understanding of, of each other. I think that's really helpful. Um, but some providers, I think, um, maybe aren't quite as open to that, and so the family needs to kind of explore that early on and make sure that the fit is right and that they can um, get everything kind of open about their desires and, and be able to speak um, as a team. Um, the other thing that may be important, and, and again, I would encourage her to talk to her, you know, doula or, or midwife or physician about it, but the other thing that may be important is actually bringing it up to um, the labor and delivery charge nurse. Um, so the hospital has the opportunity to think about it and see what they can do to maybe accommodate something that's new and different for them, uh, again, well in advance of delivery. So if the hospital's never done this before and it's something that's happening when you're having your C-section tomorrow, that's going to be a lot harder to change than if it's something that happens three or four months in advance and, you know, the family says, this is really important to me. Is there something maybe that we can do to explore this? And the hospital has time to work on it. Mm -hmm. That makes total sense to me. And, and it's about, I know that family-centered cesareans have been in the news for quite a bit recently. And I know you've been doing this. How long have you been doing family-centered cesareans for so I, I think it's kind of um, amusing. I, I did see sections where I did immediate skin to skin um, during the delivery well over 10 years ago. I didn't call it anything different, though. <laughs> I just did it because the mother asked me to. Um, so, and I think kind of gradually we've, you know, made advances like things like to keep the mother warmer and to, you know, get the clear drapes. So, you know, we've, we're getting better with time while still maintaining a safe environment. Right. And I think when you create a protocol for things, then there's a, a bigger chance for them to catch on um, than when they're one off. Absolutely true. I think that's very true. So do you what do you see in the future for family centered cesareans why are they not they not more commonly done um well i think sometimes it's just a matter of getting um change kind of implemented across the board um we're still working with skin to skin with our vaginal deliveries um you know hmm. across the state i've been that's part of our collaborative that I've been involved with, with um, encouraging hospitals to do this routinely with vaginal deliveries. So, um, 
you know, it's not just applied to family-centered cesarean or general cesarean. It, it's really a matter of getting our institutions on board with change. And change is a hard thing. It, mm. it, it is. It takes time. It takes persistence. And once you have accomplished that change, then it takes, um, again, additional time and persistence to maintain it. You know, you don't want to lose those advances once you've got them in place. So, I also think, though, that the family's voice in this is so important. When I am trying to get the hospital to make a change, I find it most effective if the mothers themselves let the hospital know how important it is to them. So that's straight for the listeners. Make your voices heard. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I, I wanted to ask you earlier, and I forgot, when you do skin to skin, if baby's showing some hunger cues and it is looking like ready to initiate breastfeeding, does that happen as well or is it more difficult because of positioning and space? Oh, no, it's not more difficult at all. It, it's I'm If the baby is showing feeding cues, I'm more than happy to, for the baby to breastfeed um, during the cesarean. As a surgeon, I, I don't notice any difference. It doesn't inhibit me. Um, with a, with a um, kind of regular, if that's the right word, with an uncomplicated cesarean delivery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the space, it. you're you're not, there's no like bumping elbows. and. <laughs> no, we just have the baby positioned, you know, in more of a sideways position, but we've been able to accommodate that just fine. Right. Um, the, the time where I find it a little bit more challenging is that woman who is, quite obese. It is a little harder from a workroom point of view um, with that woman who's very large. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But, you know, we try to be creative and, and still maintain safety in that situation. Right. And you have the nurse that's standing right there making sure, you know, she knows what to look for and, and keeping it all <laughs> safe and, 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 and flowing. Very, very true. The other thing that we have um, explored um, are um, different, um, I don't know, device isn't the right word, um, different garments <laughs> to help the mother hold the baby in place so she doesn't feel so much um, like she's going to, to drop the baby. And I haven't yet found which one I think is ideal, um, but there are different things that she can wear kind of across her chest to help her hold the baby um, and tuck, tuck the baby in there. Right, so, because helps with feeding. Yeah, some, do you find some? Sometimes the mothers feel shaky or feel um, nauseous or, or you know actually shake during during a cesarean. Do you find in those cases that they don't feel safe holding the baby and things switch up, or maybe par- the partner does skin to skin? Yeah, it actually. Um, I was a little bit surprised um, in the study that the women um, did actually feel um, concerned about their ability to, to hold the baby more frequently than I, I guess I would have guessed. Um, but um, I think that um, having one of those um, things to help hold the baby in addition to the nurse or the husband is somewhat helpful. Um, I absolutely have had dad do skin to skin if mother wasn't feeling well. I think that is, you know, the next best thing. And um, I much prefer that over sending the baby back to the warmer. Mm, That's good to hear. (laughs) Um, (laughs) In terms of the environment, do you do anything like blowing lights afterwards or having, you know, their music playing or something like that? So um, we really haven't changed the lights. Um, That would be... 
um, a little bit harder. I certainly, as the surgeon, have a light that's directed at the tummy. So that's not the problem. The problem with dimming the lights overall for the room is the anesthesia doctor. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to have a way that the anesthesia doctor could still have adequate visualization of all of their equipment. And the way that our lighting is set up, we don't have, for instance, a spotlight that would go towards the anesthesia machines. Mm-hmm. So that I haven't changed. But so far as the music goes, um, again, that that I've probably done ever since I was in training. I mean, we let mothers, if they choose to, bring whatever type of, you know, kind of soothing or sometimes interesting music um, that they would like present for the delivery. <laughs> it broadens your listening experience yes, as well. exactly. My musical taste. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Barron, so I want to thank you so much for all of this. Um, I, I think you've given our listeners lots to think about and lots, lots to consider. And if there are any any doctors out there listening, then then hopefully they're also thinking of ways of being creative, and um, and thinking of of more compassionate cesareans cesarean sections. It's my pleasure being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Mighty One, did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.